It's time to grab the bull by the horns. Yes, welcome to second episode of season three of Beer and Bullshit. Uh, I realized we didn't do this on our first episode. We basically said, hi, Chris, and hi, Ben. I am your host, Ben Johnson. With me is my co-host, Chris Pellerin. Hi, Chris. Hey, Ben. How are you? Good, man. I don't know that first episode. We were just kind of catching up, but uh, that's probably they're getting a bonus second episode right now. Yeah, this one's exciting. We got uh, our first guest of the season on, uh, and uh, it's going to be exciting to to chat with him. Before we get to that, how have you been? I've been talking you know, in a week, other than when you were here for a beer after work today. How have you been? Since then, great. Uh, in the intervening period, also quite well. And yourself? Well, we were discussing uh, me getting a second dog. As you know, we have a rescue dog from the Bahamas. We were entertaining the idea of a second pot cake. Uh, we have learned tonight that that pot cake, very cute, Herbie, has been adopted by another family. So we've taken it as a sign. Eh, maybe we don't need a second dog. So that is not happening anymore. Okay. I feel better about my unsolicited, aggressively negative opinion that I offered earlier. I mean, it was actively solicited. I put it on Instagram. Like, should we get another dog? So that's not- what I said to my wife. I said, she said, mind your own business. I said, yeah, no, was there was an Instagram poll. Yeah. 90% of people were, were positive. And the ones that answered me, all but one said, we have two dogs. It was a game changer. Definitely do it. Two dogs is way better. I'd never have one. Although one guy who we actually mentioned in the first episode, Chris Schreier, the host of the Toronto Beer Podcast, was like adamant that we should not do it in some comments. But for the most part, people were supportive. Anyway, it's a moot point. We are with one dog for the foreseeable. Okay. Well, if you're looking for a puppy... I know some beautiful dogs out there. Just gorgeous. Maybe not a pot cake, but... Please don't send any of them to my wife via Instagram. We are happily a one-dog family, I think. That's good. I think you uh, I think you made a good choice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. Do you want to just get into it? Sure. I feel like when Survivor comes back, we need to make this like a Survivor slash beer podcast because I'm very excited about Survivor, FYI. And I think there are less and less of us in the world. I think you're a Survivor fan. My brother, I found out like 15 years into it, both of us watching Survivor and never talking about it. They were both rabid Survivor fans. I was like, oh, fuck. And it just clicked. Like, we could talk about this together. But like, I, I don't know that people, Survivor's not in the like public eye anymore. And it's sad because I think it's one of the greatest shows in the history of television. Well, I think it's tough because it's not in the mainstream as much, um, just because there's so much content out there, I think would be one thing. It's not as innovative and revolutionary anymore, but they maybe getting too gimmicky. And I think they're going to strip that back for this next season. Did you think it was gimmicky? I mean, it's still just Survivor. There was a lot of like twists and turns, but like it wasn't, it's still just fucking people on an island, which is what makes it awesome. It's the inter, it's a relationship shit. That's why it makes it great. All the other Survivor shows, all the other reality shows are like way too gimmicky. Like you're on a date on Whore Island with a bunch of other naked people. And it's like, fuck, this is too much. Survivor's just 16, whatever, 32 people trying to win. It's great. I love it. Well, now we need probes to go back to season one probes and say, 
Okay, now before tribal council, that was weird. Jessica that was weird. has three bracelets. One of them is real. The second yeah. her mother gave her. And Jonathan has got a hidden immunity save advantage. Yeah, it doesn't hold up if you go way back to the first season where he's walking you through the uh, strategy pieces. We probably lost half our audience at this point. But you know what? If you're not a Survivor fan, <laughs> fuck you. This isn't the podcast for you. This is a Survivor fan podcast. First and foremost, then beer, and then bullshit. That's good. Good ranking. Okay. So we did the survivor part. There's no season on, but when be forewarned as of March one, we're going heavy on survivor content. The beer portion of tonight, uh, we've got a craft beer veteran, Steve Abrams, co-founder of Mill Street Brewery, who I was going to say famously, but pretty famously sold the company to Labatt, AKA AB InBev. So uh, we're going to learn some interesting things about that whole process and his new venture uh harman's non-alcoholic beer so stay tuned here's our friend steve are you excited chris super excited okay let's get into it i mean Uh, 20 years is a pretty long time no kidding but um it does seem to have gone behind a floor but when i attended these craft brewing awards recently um we we won for non-alcoholic uh, for that one, the lunchbox actually. Yeah, I saw that. It's, it's quite tasty, Steve. Uh, Thank you very much. But my, uh, standing around and I didn't know anybody, so that was <laughs> kind of like it, it was an odd feeling, right? You know, to to realize that you know a lot of these guys are a lot younger than me, and uh, you know, it's not like hey, that's that's Steve from Mill Street, like no, and I never heard of half the brewery, so it was mutual. Yeah, you know? I mean, I've I've been out of toronto like seven years and i can't keep up anymore i mean not that toronto is the epicenter but it kind of is <laughs> it's hard to keep up you know, i just heard cambridge has the most breweries per capita in ontario or something so this really? stuff happening everywhere yeah it's crazy i mean there was a time when i was writing about beer in 2012 when like a new one i whenever a new one opened i would go there talk to everyone involved and drink everything they had to offer if i did that now i would be drunk all the time and wouldn't do anything else <laughs> <laughs> well isn't part of what we're trying to do this season ben is to get some newer people on right i mean you went through your whole roster from 2012 over the last couple of years and then no, i'm going back even further we're going back to the, the ogs no this is the new guy from Harmons. oh that's true that's right thank you mill who never heard of him well honestly you do have you do touch uh, this will probably be our first episode with a guest and there's a lot of stuff i want to talk about like yes there's the history of it you're a new guy again and I also want to talk about um, non-alcoholic. We have a lot of stuff to go through, honestly. Okay. So let's yeah, just yeah, yeah. get into it. Okay. So like 2002, you guys opened in the distillery district. Yes. And like, I don't even think it was called craft beer then. Like going back. Microbreweries. It was really yeah, the microbreweries. Microbreweries, yeah. And it was um, you, Jeff Cooper, and Michael Duggan, which I also think people don't realize because Michael Duggan's been around a while now. and Oh, he's been around a lot longer than me, boy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He started, I think, working at Connors. So he was at Connors, and then he he had his own brewery own for a while on Kingston Road in the East End. Um, and this is way before my time, before I even lived in Canada. Yeah. I just know uh, that was his background. And then he became the head brewer at Alfrisco's, which was the old Rotterdam on jo- Peter Street or John John Street. Yeah, and um, that's where we got some of our equipment from. Supposedly, that was um, 
it was investment, but anyway, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So that then, oddly enough, that's where Joel Manning had worked originally, right? So it was kind of this weird world. It was, back the, then, I mean, it was, was kind only... of, it was you guys in Amsterdam and Toronto. That was kind of it. Joel was 2005. Joel came on board in 05. Yeah, I have a photo of him for his first Christmas uh, party. Um, but uh, I mean, other than us, it was Steam Whistle. Right. And they had opened in, I think, 99 or 2000. That's right. So they were new um who else who else uh say what sort of had a brewing system in the basement but most hancock, of their beer hancock was hanging around but he was just brewing another i don't know so hancock was, was an interesting guy because he um he had uh conchie joe's and denison's over on uh uh what street is it i'm blanking it's not denison street um Vic victoria street victoria yeah and um Unfortunately, that didn't. He got. I think his rent went up overnight, and he got locked out. So he was very distraught. It came to us, and we helped him do a midnight run to get all his furniture out of there before they locked him out of the place. So, Mill Street's original uh, furniture, which were like high top tables with copper tops and chairs and stuff, it was sort of a mishmash of stuff. But um, it was all from him. <laughs> he just brought it, and we gave him a tank. And that's where he made his wheat beer. His vice beer was made uh, like what tank number three or whatever it was. And um, and he was he's such a character, but he's you know a lovely guy, uh, you know, and just got impeccable taste when it comes to German beer and and you know very fastidious. And he walked around in his his leather stuff and you know it was um, <laughs> his leather stuff. <laughs> he was he was great, but he even had like he had this old BMW and we had the same exact bike one year apart. Um, and I remember one time we swapped. And if you don't know Michael, I mean, if you ever see, the guy's got Popeye arms, right? Like big, Stephen, why don't you try my bicycle? And I'm like, okay, you know, so we were going up the ramp on Front Street, going over the DVP. And uh, suddenly his bike, and I'm riding, it's going, blah, 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 and I'm like, it's like a speed wobble. And I hear him behind me, he goes, you must accelerate, accelerate. And I'm like, I'm like, take off. The thing was crooked, and he failed to tell me that his motorcycle had been in an accident, and since like 1978 was like bent. But he was so damn strong, he would just muscle the thing into a straight line. So I almost dropped his bike, but he used to deliver freaking kegs on the back with you know, bungee cords, and you know. And and then there was him, and there was Doug Pingali, Saint Andre, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. He was making it. Oh at, yeah, at Doug. Yeah, and Doug Doug had this crazy old. Oh, uh, Citroen, and he got pulled over by the OPP because he was missing half the floor. You know, it was just he probably just, just made it out of cardboard and gum and fixed it. Yeah, yeah they repossessed it. Like they just <laughs> took it away and they said, "You can't drive this on on a four series." So he was like, "No one's gonna come get me." You know, like on a split phone back then. It was just, <laughs> it was just like a very odd group of people. You know, Mike was a drummer. I was in a band. Jeff played the radio. Like it was not, but that's when we finally found the distillery we rehearsed there it was kind of like our little rascals clubhouse and you know we we had a lot of fun down there before the condos came and the tourists and everything it was just no man's land you know yeah it was, uh, the joke was uh you know like prostitutes and, and the homeless people were pretty much then what's going there and there well it was kind of like i shouldn't repeat again we're being recorded i don't know I think we see sex workers now, but other than that, you're fine. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes. But it was just, I mean, it was a place nobody thought. Back then, ever... back then, that wasn't the, par the parlance. But no, no I think no. That, 
and I think part of the reason I was like saying you got the the uh, you know I've had the guys from I've had Steam Whistle on I've had Hancock on the show too but like you you guys kind of made it seem like a viable business before you know before Steam Whistle was in there it was kind of like like you're saying like it was kind of rogue kind of interesting kind of fringe characters but like you know i remember you guys came and you you had a lease in the distillery district it felt like a business five bucks a square foot i never forget five bucks crazy in toronto i mean we had to build the place out it was like you know it didn't even have heat but yeah five bucks but (laughs) but i mean i think that like even to the point where you sold it you just kept showing like this was a viable a real business and i think there's a lot of like a lot of people dismiss dismiss craft beer as like fringe or weird or like not mainstream, but I think a lot of what I think Mill Street has always done, or I don't know if it was conscious or not, was to show that it is mainstream. It is a business. There's alternatives to the big guys. We certainly tried to act bigger than we were, and that was why I, to me, it was important to have as much visibility as possible. Yeah. And, you know, umbrellas, uh, you know, chalkboards, signs. We just wanted to own that real estate at every bar, yeah, get the signs up. So when you went from the east to west end, everywhere you saw some sort of Mill Street signage. And, you know, it, you know, it, it was an expensive undertaking. Um, and, of course, you know, once you start giving things to bar owners, they, they want more. So <laughs> it was like, yeah. you know, uh, that was a whole challenge. But we never gave away the beer. And that was important. And when we started our business, we we drew a very important line in the sense that you know we don't give a one keg for five or whatever these deals were. That, that was the norm. Basically, yeah, we just like we got beer, and of course we'll throw a party and do all these other things or give you a sign. But that was a slippery slope that um, we luckily avoided. But we we certainly thought that like we could take our branding and, and make it. A little more professional, I guess, but still have fun. Yeah. And for me, it was like the events, like getting out there also for music festivals and sponsoring stuff and just keep taking it to the next level, whether it was, you know, like eventually Ottawa Blues Fest, you know, hey, we're sponsoring Kiss. That's crazy. You know, you're yeah. seeing Iron Maiden and there's a Mill Street sign next to it. it just it was these sort of mind blowing moments as we kept going. So it was it was exciting to see that. But well, that was the thing, like in 2015, I actually revi- revisited some of the like news, some of the stuff I wrote from the time too. People were pretty like butthurt that you guys sold out the common refrain. But I, I even to this day, I was like, you defended us. Pardon? Did, I did, you but, nice but I feel us? like I, I, the people that are butthurt, I'm like, you're not paying attention to what Mill Street's been doing. You've always tried to be bigger. You're going for like, you were distributing in the United States. You were doing things like sponsoring Blues Fest and Kiss. You weren't like, you weren't trying to be what I would call like quote unquote craft. You weren't like these no. little garage guys. You were like, we're going to be a fucking big beer company. And we so when people were like, you sold out, I'm like, they were all like, are you mad? Cause they got super successful and sold their very successful business for presumably a lot of money. Like you weren't paying attention to what mill street's been doing since the beginning. That was kind of my argument. I, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we had a brew pubs and when I, when we sold, it was, there's one in St. John's, there was one in, Calgary, the airport, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, we th- certainly had pretty ambitious growth plans. I mean, if things had kept going, we would have opened in Brooklyn. Like right. we were looking at New York and we would make trips down there and I looked in Harlem. I mean, it was, it was pretty neat. Like, but you know, at, at some point we realized, you know, the, the, the run was over and uh, don't forget, I, I was one of, you know, 
many investors. You know, when it started with me, Mike and Jeff, but by the end, there was probably over a hundred people who had ponied up, you know, to keep that ship going. Um, and in the early days, you know, I, I donned my blazer on a Saturday and, you know, when we had nothing and try to, you know, find a whale for, during a, like a beer brewery tour and, you know, you try to get some investment out of these guys. Oh, you know, like golfing buddies would be impressed that they owned a piece of a brewery. And, you know, it, it was a real struggle to, to keep it financed, to keep it going. And then uh, we got some larger, and I mean, Irvin, I, you remember Irvin? Did you know him? No. Yeah. So Irvin came in in 06 and uh, he, he had, you know, about half the, the business and he had come from uh, a background. He was an accountant um by trade but a cost account and he you know i my background wasn't in business i was an english teacher and then i did a couple other things like writing but uh, and music but you know he he was my mba he taught me so much more about how to run things and um so it, it was uh, it was an interesting time but he certainly had his um his goals as well <laughs> so he, i don't think he wanted to be in the beer business forever well, the other the thing the thing you're the things you're saying about how like it's almost like you kept getting out ahead of your ski tips a bit. Like you want to be bigger, but like, well, oh, this costs more money, or like we we gotta expand. We got, it's like I feel like everyone's there now. Like whereas in 2015, a lot of the crappers like fuck Mill Street. They sold it. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a crapper in Ontario or even Canada right now who wouldn't be like, please back that ABMB truck of money up my like they're all mm -hmm. it's a tough time like they're all looking for those investments like i know craft brewers who are like hardcore independent craft brewers who are like i would sell out tomorrow like it's tough now you, it's you, tough you, man it is a very tough grind and when i see a lot of these smaller guys and i know what their costs are i know the cost for malt and hops has gone through the roof yeah a lot of it is you know artificial due to warfare and supply chain and stuff but it's a really unfortunate time and we know post-pandemic, the draft business has not recovered the way um, they assumed it would. It is not returned to its old glory days. And uh, that affects a lot of guys who relied on draft. And if you didn't pivot, you know, get overused, but were able to go into cans and, and find other means of doing things it's, or, or making hard seltzer. Excuse me. Sorry. So it happens on uh, a beer seltzers. podcast. There's a lot of burps. It happens all the time. <laughs> it is a beer, yeah. <laughs> What's in this stuff? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. People now, of course, you're releasing like RTDs, and you know, I mean, I remember remember when Mill Street released a hard root beer. I, I was do like, remember oh, that. really? Yeah. And it wasn't very good. They you put they put schnapps in it. Joel's yeah. like beloved beer schnapps that nobody would drink because it made you blind, basically. Yeah, I still have some in my freezer. I think <laughs> don't drink it, Joel. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> it, yeah that stuff made me uh, lose a shoe i think um and uh yeah i just like i i didn't see that i mean i didn't i knew it was coming but the fact that so many of these small brewers have to supplement uh, they're not breweries anymore they're they're making you know vodka and pop and yeah that sucks. But, well so they've all like we recorded you know 20 episodes of this show before we took two years off but the the theme was always we're selling volumes like crazy uh, in containers like never before and now that that's petered out most folks are saying you know the tap room hasn't come back the you know the licensee sales haven't come back so it's it's pretty it's dark days like you can see people buying stuff up so 
that's going to pivot to my next question is like, I, I feel like, like you're saying, everyone's looking for something else. Like RTDs, mm-hmm. there's vodka. Mm-hmm. I feel like non-alcoholic is that other thing. Is the demand there? Because everyone's doing it. Every time I'm on Instagram, everywhere I look, non-alcoholic, all the craft brewers are doing it. There's at least a handful of companies like yours. I'm like no yeah, I, I can think of in Ontario, there's probably like three or four, four or five. I mean, Partake obviously is the big one. Ted. Yeah. Yeah, was ahead of the curve there, and uh, kudos to him. Um, my story was, you know, I'd stopped drinking for about nine months back, right before the pandemic started. Brutal time and, to stop drinking. Good call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went on vacation when you, you know, to San Diego, and uh, my wife sent me to a liquor store to get some white wine. So I was like, all right, and I went down, mm-hmm. and there was this wall of craft non-alcoholic beer that you know you just couldn't get up here. So I got one of each and spent the rest of the vacation just sampling this stuff going, holy crap, this stuff's great. You know, yeah. it 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 fed that urge or whatever that that psychological button, you know, having been a beer drinker all my life, it satisfied me. It was great. And there was variety. Mm-hmm. So I called Rob Doyle, who was a, a Mill Street guy. I knew him from there, but he had High Road Brewing. Do you remember High Road? Yep. Yeah, Brown and all. So mm-hmm. I was like, Brown was very good beer. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, he um, he sold that actually to another ex Mill Street guy. I think he's being made in Peterborough. Anyway, so he he spent the pandemic figuring out how to make this stuff because he had never made it. But um, you know, did a lot of research, and we would meet up uh, in a parking lot in Etobicoke near the the Toys R Us, in the the East Mall or West Mall, which was kind of funny because you know parents would be pulling up getting their curbside toy delivery. Right. And then looking at these two idiots in a look like they're tailgating at 10 in the morning in a parking <laughs> lot, but drinking growlers of non-alcoholic beer and some bozo would drive by in a Mercedes like, yeah, but I'm like, no, this is, this, this is our, our boardroom. Like, there's no, yeah. nowhere else to go. So, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think I saw that what was going on in the U.S. and then having done the research, Europe, I mean, countries like uh, Spain, it's like over almost 15% of all beer sold is non-alcoholic. Uh, Scandinavia, sweet. I mean, and not only just non-alcoholic, but there's a scene around it. If you look at the UK, there's a, my favorite one to watch is Mash Gang. Check out Mash Gang. They are hilarious. They're a gypsy brewery, five guys. They've collaborated with every craft brewery now, I think, in, in the UK. And they're starting to sell in the U.S., their labels are hysterical. I don't know how they don't get sued by General Mills because they do like Tricks the Rabbit or the Lucky Charms Leprechaun. I mean, they're real cheeky punk rock guys. Um, and I was like, I love this. And all their beers are 0.5. I think maybe mm. there's a couple of low ones they're, they're doing as well. But, you know, I I always thought small beers would be the next rage. Uh, two, uh, under 3%. I just think Guys like us, as we get older, we just cannot take the hangovers anymore. But yeah, kind of what what's got me going is selfishly, I just like beer. But I think it's going to grow. Canada, as we know, it's a little slower on the uptake. Um, I can't tell you the amount of trolls I have to like do battle with on Facebook. I'm sure you, you know you know what it's <laughs> yeah. like. I might be one of them. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. You're definitely no. <laughs> these are a lot of hosers who just um, you know just think it's hilarious because they get an ad that pops up on Facebook and they feel the need to tell me I'm right. Make real beer. 
<laughs> I wish they were that nice. It's really it's pretty pretty nasty stuff what they say. It's you really? know, involving having sex with like their cousin or something. I'm like, you know, just yeah. Wow. So I think Canada is going to come around, but much like organic beer, it's yeah. going to take time. People's acceptance. So yeah, um, and I've I you know what I've had really great European non-alcoholic beers. Like there's great versions of like Erdinger, like great beers that. Yeah. Exist- there's just a non-alcoholic version. It's not a big deal. It's like, there's also a non-alcoholic version, but then I, I, you know, we saw like Budweiser invested hard in prohibition. I don't know if they just did read the market wrong or, I mean, who the, well, I guess who drinks Budweiser for the taste is probably, did, well, that's part of it. Did, did also, right. I'm, I'm going to say this. I mean, you know, I, I don't work for them anymore. Um, right. did, did you look at the nutritional info on, on the side of the can? It was a hundred cal, 110 calories. Okay. Like people who drink this stuff really do ask how many calories because if they if they're not getting messed up, they don't get fat. <laughs> right. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> that is um that was a big uh, error on my part. I mean, this was the biggest brewery in the world, and they couldn't come up with a recipe that was under sixty calories. So I was like, what? Yeah. So, just for the record, ours is. So I was just it. checking there. Yeah, sixty yeah. calories. That's uh, I had to assume that's yours actually, was. <laughs> I think we need to get it redone because that recipe's been a little tweaked, but. This one says 45. So lunchbox for some reason, the hazies. Anyway, they're all under 60. So nice. Well, I had two, I had two uh while making dinner and then cleaning up. I had the lagered uh the lagered ale and I had the uh pale ale. They're both nice. Did you know that we actually tried messing around with one in Mill Street years ago? I did not. An organic one. Yeah, and it it was um on tap. Joel made it um at the brew pub i think i was the only guy who drank it just because i was so excited about the idea yeah I thought we'd be in every grocery store in, in canada it kind of tasted like wet newspaper i'll be honest with you and you know i'll be like it's great everyone you gotta try it it's just, <laughs> it needed a little tweaking but um mill street's coming out one with one from what i heard really I mean, sad for it. i tried it yeah someone gave me one it's good okay yeah. So um, what is you were that you were still there kind of until 2021 or you were kind of just hanging around like what was your role hanging around yeah, yeah. I, I I was too feral for those guys I mean honestly <laughs> they were very nice they were very nice to me I mean I can't lie like it, they were they were really nice and generous and treated me great and I had that non compete so you know right. there wasn't a whole lot I could do other than to sort of say hi but yeah it, I didn't do much in the beer world for five years, but you know. So I, was that it, your, was that your, the five years was your, okay, you can't go into anything beer related. Are you skirting that with non-alcoholic or that's over now? No, no, those, that, that was it's 2023 now. Yeah. Those okay. Long yeah. yeah. Gloves are off, man. Come on. The gloves are off. It's not. <laughs> well, that, no, that was I, my, I mean, sure, every once in a while on LinkedIn, I see someone like someone from the Labatt Corporation has been, you know, like, I'm like, oh, okay. Cause I spend like that extra to get the premium LinkedIn service, so you can yeah, see yeah, someone's eyeballing you. And I'm like, ah, they're, they're keeping tabs on you. Is he taking her? Is there a tank house 2.0 popping up somewhere? What's going on? Do you know? I live in the East End, and there's a place on Danforth called Factory Girl, and they have tank house on tap. And okay. Every once in a while, I'll go in just to have one, and it's crazy how taste buds evoke memories, but that beer. Um, I think more than anything really changed things for the scene as well. But for me personally, you know, it was just like, uh, 
you know. No, I think, man, that beer is an important beer. I, I recently did like almost like clickbait, but I wrote an article about like the 50 most important beers in Ontario, something stupid. But Tank House is for sure on that list. I mean, Tank House was a, for most people, the beer is like, holy shit, beer can taste kind of different. If you think about where you guys were and the time you made it, you would have literally been the introduction to craft beer for so many people. Like, it was crazy. I mean, um, yeah. But Tank House, um, we made it because we were trying to emulate Sierra Nevada. That was the, the, the idea. Selfishly, again, we love that beer. Couldn't get it here. So Mike made a great recipe. It was fantastic. But our first mistake was calling it a pale ale because who owned the pale ale name in Canada was Keith. So right. you go around trying to sell it to people. They're like, this doesn't taste like a pale ale. We're like, oh, right. boy. You know, we got our work cut out for us. It was just... It was nuts. The, the fact that it was bitter and had hops in it was just so foreign to everybody. But you know, there was that one thread. What was it called? The bar towel. Yep. Uh, yeah. With uh, Cass and all. Oh my God. And you know, I think it might get... still be going. I think someone's still on bar towel right now, talking about tank house. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the guy with the, the hairless cats? Because we hated him. He was. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we figured out where he lived. He was really. He made our lives miserable. Oh, so funny. <laughs> I, I had to tell Duggan to calm down because he's like, I'm going to kick that guy's ass. I'm like, don't take the bait, man. Like these guys, <laughs> they, you know, so they, we did not get a lot of love when we opened because our first beer was the, the organic lager. So they were all like, ho-hum. I mean, everyone in the scene, I mean, it's pretty widely known, like even Amsterdam, everyone was making sort of replicas of what the big breweries were making. There was nothing unusual Right. It was just a lot of blonde ales, blonde ales, you know, maybe a couple of bitters. There were some nice, like, Instagram shit even looked like Heineken by design. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, well, that was, yeah, that was uh, a Roll Bramer's idea, right? Yeah. So um, we came out with Tank House. And of course, you know, first we're getting the, the, the bar towelers hating on us. And then Tank House came out and then Coffee Porter. And suddenly everything changed. They were like, holy mm -hmm. shit, these guys are the real deal. And the nicest compliment I ever got was from Ron Keefe, who owns the Granite. I know. And he yeah. told me, you know, he'd been around for ages. And one, and people would come in, what do you got that tastes like Coors Light? What do you got that tastes like Blue? What do you, you know? And he'd be like, oh, you know, because he made traditional British beers mostly and stuff. And then one day someone came in and said, what do you got that tastes like Tank House? And he was like, ooh, hmm. ooh. And he told me this once we'd had beers at, it might've been at Joel's funeral. I don't know, but he got kind of choked up. He's like, that freaking beer changed everything. And coming from a guy like that to me was like. In Ontario at the time it was made, it was game changer. And uh, locally, I think what would have been like 20, 2007. Like when did you guys make it? 2007-ish? You guys went through well, no, We were making, it started in 03. And okay. It was our flagship beer. It outsold everything up until about 2007. So for four years, it kind of, it, it ruled the roost. Okay. And then well, the year, you guys, the year you guys won a Golden Tap Award as the best beer or best brewer, whatever it was, Milos yeah. Kral, London Publican, was there. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I got to get a keg of tank house and he literally hounded you guys until you could get one and drove it into london and it was probably the first keg of craft beer in this city like maybe ever there was a there was a small craft brewery called glatt brothers and they made like a terrible hell oh yeah beer. but but you guys and that keg 
on tap when Milos was working at uh, Marienbad, which is a restaurant, but he just yeah. had amazing beer. It was maybe the first taste of craft beer that London has had maybe ever. And Milos has obviously created a craft beer empire and every craft brewery in London has a story of why they, you know, either invented their brewery in Milos or because of Milos or because they drank something there. So like you guys have a legacy in London too, I would say. And London was probably the toughest nut to crack. It London. still is. If you look at per capita, we don't have the right amount of craft breweries. I hate to say this, but what's the joke? It's the, the, the town that fun forgot. You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends if you go down on a Saturday night to from when the Western students are here, but they're not really drinking great beer. They're having no, fun. <laughs> no, but it was it was a challenge. And uh, to get to the London folks, um, we chose a different route. And that's when I became friends with Doug Hillier, who runs the London Rib Fest and the Hillier okay. family. They got all the in Victoria Park, all the parties there. Um, and we figured, you know, just pouring beer for all the, the rib eating folks, uh, that would be a great way to, and of course, you know, Tank House wasn't, I always tried to like, make sure you have one tap of Tank House because it's going to be someone who likes that stuff. But, you know, uh, Stock Ale was a big one and, and organic. Uh, but yeah, London was always an obsession because, yeah, it's, and it is even now with this stuff, you know, with the, the non-alcoholic because you get the same sort of resistance and guys are tough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Levat guys had such a crazy marketing budget, like marketing, meaning like just buy out all the bars, but it's, it's, it's very, very tough. You go into, a, you go into any bar here and they're, they're so used to all the handouts that there's no, there's no, even, yeah. oh, just carry my beer. Well, well how many patio umbrellas is that going to get? <laughs> Zero. I've just started a brewery. Yeah. Or other things it's, um, and especially now, because I really do feel for anyone in, in the bar trade. It's, uh, tough you know the cost yeah. of food staffing everything it's brutal and i don't know if you've gone out to eat lately but i did recently and you know it's like wow the bill was was incredibly high for you know it's insane mm, yeah okay. i mean yeah it's tough. it's tough times and i i hope i don't know they say inflation cooled down a little but i don't know if that's going to be reflected in your your bar tab anytime soon but no that's true you know, when i see 11 dollar pints with a 12 so the bar was like eleven ninety nine at a Mexican restaurant for a pint of Stella. Like that used to be like airport prices, we call it, right? Or right. hotel. And I was like, really? You know, like the whole new world. So it's a pretty good deal. Know. Where was that place? <laughs> Food was great actually. And they had a mariachi and everything, but no one was drinking <laughs> Stella, I'll tell you that. It was uh oh El Charo, it's called on Danforth. Are you a fan of cold, crisp, crushable beers? If you listen to this show, you know I am. When I'm watching the game, literally any game, chess, kids sports, hockey, there's only one beer that feels right to reach for, and that's Left Field Brewery's Ice Cold Beer. It's made with 100% Ontario ingredients, so I can say I'm supporting local businesses while I watch my kid play t-ball. Find ice cold beer at better beer establishments and LCBOs across Ontario, or pick up a four pack or two four directly from Leftfield Brewery in their bottle shop or online fan shop for the best per can price. And right now, beer and bullshit listeners get a free can koozie. Who doesn't love a good koozie? 
with any fan shop order over 55 bucks. Add the koozie to your cart and use the promo code BULLSHIT at checkout. Must be 19 years or older while supplies last. Yeah, well, let's talk, yeah. about, let's talk about happier times because I, I've got questions about how a buyout happens because I do think there's lots of breweries that want to know, <laughs> frankly, how do they do it? Uh, when, you got to play when, hard to get. Okay. Okay. You got to build and build and build and, and make those sacrifices to, I mean, just be a pain in their ass till they, they want you to go away. That, that was so really, were you there's no big secret. Shop- just, you, you want to constantly be a, a, you know, a pain in their butt. Were you actively looking for that for some years before it happened or did no. it, like, how does it come about? No, they come knocking. No, no, we, we, I think, uh, on the record, I can say I know we were approached a number of times by various breweries um, to be purchased, and uh, and we also looked at at some point buying a couple ourselves. There was a couple in, in the West Coast. Never told anyone that. Yeah, remember that. You know why? You guys, we're gonna buy some spots at West to expand distribution out there. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, in BC, that's another tough one. If you thought London was hard, BC <laughs> because mm. it's a whole province that is very protectionist and. Um, you would go to the BCLDB and, uh, you know, offer them, you know, this is organic. It's selling like hotcakes all over Canada. They're like, that's great. When are you going to build a brewery here? Because it was all about protecting their own. So hmm. we, we looked at it very hard and then things happened, but we, we were possibly going to open in Vancouver. Something. Okay. Yeah. But it never and happened. When, when Labatt, backs up the truck of money what kind of truck is that that they bring to your house <laughs> it's an electric truck that is solar powered oh really and, and geothermal yeah it's really you know these guys man they got their own windmill farms they're, they're amazing um but uh what does it look like it, i mean it was the craziest couple of days of my life um because we had to be sequestered I mean, people of the company knew what was happening yeah. right um, you could tell because you know strangers were walking in and going into cubicles and then you know leaving and you know people like what the what the fuck you know it's like Hermie, this can't keep the secret for too why long. is carlos brito here no. <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly. yeah no he was not yeah but his nephew was um really? no um no, no, no that's not true but um yeah there are a lot of brazilians which is a whole other story yeah. but um uh yeah so we I had to sit in a, a room um, for two days with Joel and a few other folks and, and we were trained it was a PR agency but I think their bread and butter was the liberal party okay they were very tied to that scene uh, these guys um, interesting extremely tied and uh, yeah I mean remember when buck beer was a thing and it just disappeared and no one said anything yeah, and they raised the 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 floor for for the price of beer. Yeah, what do you think did that? You know, it was amazing. Nobody said boo. Yeah, blew my mind. I actually said that to the guys a little bit. I was like, that was amazing. You did that, and nobody even fired a shot. Like there was no. And they're like, man, you like that, huh? Just <laughs> yeah. Shit, I'm gonna be nice to you. Yeah, no, they're they're very sophisticated, and we spent like 48 hours um, practicing what we'd say and 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 just rehearsing every possible, you know, negative story and how we would spin it. And I was just like, my God, I just, you know, 
Man, that was my impression. So that was one of my weirdest experiences in beer. I've been writing about beer for like, I don't know, three, four years at that time. And it was, it was the, from the outside, what a well-oiled PR machine. They had a war room. They had a war. It was crazy. You guys the were the PR company up. paid yeah. to get me on a train to come to Mill Street. I had a hotel room. There was a full day of activities. You got me drunk. We went out for dinner. All to tell us you were still craft. I'm like, this is the least craft shit. <laughs> How is this? <laughs> I'm on a Segway and I'm half in the bag and I got a hotel room. <laughs> but I think I said that like my whole, my, I think I may have spoken up and I got some dirty looks because I think the PR people. Were well, there, that's but what I was you like, do, right? I'm sure. You right. know, yeah. But I was like, here's my thing. Stop saying craft. You're not craft anymore. Fuck that word. It, it, forget it. You're made a successful beer company. You sold it fuck you that's what you should have been like it's like we're still crafting like, you're not still craft and that, that to me that's where the line ends right there and at that point i mean i had nothing to do i mean i was in my cottage just sort of scared i think you were in the corner going. just counting money with a big cigar in your mouth no no blogger boy i think we're missing a couple of fives here right you know like no it was um no it was but it was surreal because when it was over it was it was almost like you know when you go through like your wife has a baby and suddenly there's a kid in your house and you're like, you know, Jesus, you know, it, life was never the same. And it, right. it was bizarre. And yeah, and there were a lot of, there weren't a lot, I'd say overall the OCB and other craft brewers were very supportive. They were like, good on you, you know, cause we, we always tried to keep our nose clean and take the high road. And, but there were a few assholes and um, they know who they are. And uh, you know, Sorry, you know it was completely unwarranted uh, hits and just, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but it wasn't very nice. But for right. the most part, we were, you know, kind of told, you know, good for you. And you know, it, I'll tell you, like the positives that came out of it. Suddenly, we had a human resource department, and while <laughs> yes, that sounds very corporate, like going down to a bunch of like six foot five, uh, you know, drivers you know, who carry kegs for a living, who are pissed off because they're not making enough money and they're angry about their trucks not working and, and giving them a box of donuts and telling them like, oh, let's, let's talk about what's wrong. You know, that only flies for so long, you know? Right. But to have an actual HR department where some lady with a clipboard and she's talking to them and taking their grievances. And I was like, thank freaking God, man. Like, this is what we needed. It was always about the people and making sure they're being taken care of. But we were growing so fast, well, you know, there's no question stuff got looked, you know, like it wasn't all taken care of. And yeah. now you had a parent company that could address all that stuff. And there was, you know, healthcare. And I mean, in terms of brewing, all the, I mean, they controlled a third of the world's beer. You had access to all the ingredients suddenly. Overnight. There was a guy, he was like the hop king in Belgium. And, you know, you want whatever kind of hop you wanted, citra hop, no problem. You know, they grow it on a farm in Idaho or wherever. Right. You know, so in terms of flavor and variety and experimentation, of, you know, you couldn't ask for more as a brewer. So they were happy. Mm -hmm. I was happy to see. And they did walk the walk in many respects on an environmental sustainability. They really, they did try. Um, I, I, we'll see where that goes. But, you know, that was really my thing near the end. I was trying to, I mean, I would spend hours you know, trying to like get people to put the glass in this bin and do, you know, like that was, 
you know, trying to find recycling for all the the wrap that went around the pallets and, you know, probably ended up on a ship somewhere in the Philippines. It's just, you know, <laughs> I tried so hard. It was really, a lot of that's more just like bookkeeping. It, it became very dry, but it, um, it was important to me. But so, yeah, there was a lot of positives that came out of it. No one lost their jobs, at least to my knowledge, initially. I think there might have been some shakeup later on. Yeah. But, um, but well, I, the, yeah. the real concern, I mean, job loss, yes, that seems like an assumption. The other thing we always assume is that things are going to get shittier in the name of efficiency. So like whether or not it's actually true, every brewery that's ever been bought out, if you ask, like if you go to Bartel, I'm sure someone's like, tank house isn't the same as it used to be or whatever the beer the brewery that got bought out the beer's not as good like bourbon county's not as good since they bought it like the the the, the, obviously the idea is they're going to be shittier ingredients more in the name of efficiency did you see things go that way no 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 i think if anything they were able to get a hold on contracts for hops that you know were, were outstanding like but yeah. these guys were the front front of the line for that for in terms of quality they got the pick of the litter for right i mean buying power alone so there was absolutely no decline in quality um I, you know i think it's the marketing that got kind of weird for me and I, again i'm just an observer now but yeah I, it's you know I don't get what they're doing. They did go all organic, which I thought was was neat. Um, we couldn't do it at the time because it was cost prohibitive. I, I don't know. The last I saw was cobblestone as organic. Cobblestone wasn't organic before. I loved cobblestone stuff back in the day. Just though. organic was organic. That was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, then the Pilsner. Hmm. Uh, but Tankhouse wasn't. I think everything in their roster, the whole brewery is organic now. Everything they make is certified organic. So huh. that stuff's expensive. I mean, that's yeah. what I'm trying to do with this, and it's become uh, it's, it's it's tough because we're small. We don't have the the economies of scale to purchase large amounts of it. So, I mean, kudos to them for that. Um, but you know, I think they they've changed some of the name. I don't think Tank House is even Tank House anymore. I think it's just called like Organic Ale. Really? And yeah, I see. I I can't. I don't know. They changed all this stuff. I, I don't honestly I'll have to admit I don't pay much attention to Mill Street anymore. Although I will say weird cuz London is small. Uh I think he was president of Mill Street, but Chris played hockey with Daryl Miner and I used to sell oh, yeah. life ins- I sold life insurance with him briefly in my 20s. So we both know the guy who went on to become the president of Mill Street. Yeah, good guy. He I think he's somewhere he's else present. in the Labatt yeah. ecosystem now. I'm not sure yeah, where he's at. Because of LinkedIn, I know he's been promoted to like East Coast head of sales, blah, blah, blah. Exiled him to, yeah. to, to the yeah. Rock. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, weird I connection because London is a small town. But like after we both decided life insurance wasn't for us, he went to the Labatt's. And I last time I saw him, he popped up on Mill Street. I was like, I didn't fucking know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and he's a lifer too. I think he's been at Labatt. Yeah. And like literally right after promote, the, right after we both worked together, he jumped into Labatt's and he's been there ever since, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting company. I mean, the guy who was the president of Labatt at the time when we got bought, he was a, a Belgian guy, Jan, Jan Kraps. And Jan now is in charge of all of Asia Pacific. You see him on LinkedIn, and he's like seems to be cutting a ribbon at, at a new brewery every week. He's like, Yeah, and he's again like this massively tall European guy. Who's, the big pair of scissors. <laughs> it's, um, it, it's a massive company, and it's uh, 
I don't think guys like me do well in, in that environment because so like uh, guys like you're you're a punk rock guy you've been in punk bands your whole vibe sure. building mill street and stuff was like punk rock and kind of like we're the it other was, guys. yeah well well then like were there qualms like i mean selling out is harsh but you did kind of sell out to the biggest baddest brewery in the world do you ever like what was the philosophical struggle with that or was there you're just like fuck it let's sell this thing it's going to be embarrassing to admit, but I'm, I was never, um, I mean, I, I'm not a brewer and, you know, the business was always something I was very proud of, but I figured at some point there was going to be an exit. Either we were just going to go bankrupt or someone was going to, you know, we, I have to sell it to someone. So I, I didn't see myself as being a lifer at the time. And I, when, when I got into other business, like tried real estate for a little bit, you know, tried to be a landlord, fixing toilets sucked. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, you got to come over here. I think my oven's on fire. Great. You know, um, so tried my hand at other things. I realized this is probably what I'm best suited to do. And I was in constant denial about it. So um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I have, I tried not to reflect too much. You know, I keep a journal and um yeah yes i absolutely the punk in me was like jesus what have i done but you know I, I, there's so many canadian stories not just beer but this is this happens it over and over and it's it's tough because we don't have the same population same finances i mean this is more of an economic macro thing with canada but even with entertainment and music it, it's eventually like anything that's a successor gets gobbled up, you know, and it's, it's tough. Um, so are we part of that, that story? Probably. And you see it repeated over and over, you know? Uh, so yeah, I could it have been someone else? Sure. <laughs> what have I preferred it? You know, uh, but um, it is what it is. I don't know. I think I, that's you know. that's pretty insightful, Steve. Uh, the Canadian kind of little brother piece. Because you're right, you just you go where down you go, to the states go? and you shop online. You can touch every single business in that entire country, and and we just we just don't have the population. We got the ideas. We you know we got the, the entrepreneurial talent. spirit and the talented people. But you're right. There's a there's kind of a finite road there, except for you know the odd Canadian company that winds up being that that huge kind of global titan. Uh, everybody else gets. Scooped and that's so precarious. You look at Shopify, um, you know, right now they're they're in trouble, you know, because they grew so quickly and the pandemic, I guess, fed a lot of it. But, you know, everyone's rooting for them. But uh, and the government certainly is, you know, they want to see another success story. They don't want to see another Blackberry. They don't want to see, you know, all these other Nortels. You know, I've been around long enough here to see this stuff like come and go where they suddenly dominate like the TSX and then overnight they're gone. And now their their former factories are turning into condos. It's just it is it is a tragedy, and I'm sure we're just playing out. We played out the same story that you see over and over in every industry in Canada. Um, is it can it be changed? I don't know, um, but I you know I I don't I don't I don't want that to happen this time. I'd like to see this stay domestic and, and grow it and um so if molson call, calls and they want to do harman they want to buy harman tomorrow you're not in molson mm. <laughs> i don't know i picked one 
<laughs> no, not them. No way. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay, so there's already an exit strategy for Harmon. Uh, <laughs> not anyone but them. No. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I but you do look at some of the other breweries. What Amsterdam just got bought by was it a Danish brewery? Yeah, the guys who make facts. <laughs> <laughs> facts. Remember that was like what was it, like seven percent and. It was like, yeah, rocket fuel. I remember faxes like the high school rocket fuel. Yeah. Um, Bricks out. I don't know. I, I knew you were going to get me on this. And I, I wish, but uh, honestly, I just, I knew it would happen. I, I mean, I'll tell you a story if this is any consolation. When we started, um, I mentioned that, you know, I'd go around and, and don the blazer and try to, you know, shake people down for a few shackles but um we also had friends and family involved too right don't forget there was um parents who who actually cashed out some of their you know their retirements their rsps to contribute and sometimes it was you know five grand or whatever they could afford you know retired ttc workers or you know municipal workers so at the end of the day after our run to be able to present these folks who probably thought they, you know, kiss their money goodbye. Yeah. And finally get something back and then some, that was really nice. Um, it wasn't all like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, smoking cigars. There were a lot of uh, little guys uh, involved who, who supported us along the way. So that was nice. So, uh, so that's like I, a 15, some... what's a 15 year investment on a craft brew? What's the ROI on that? I give you a, you know, oh, <laughs> I give you some dough in 2003. What am I looking at when when you think that was? Yeah. In? I'll get back to you on that. It's been a, while. <laughs> a, a free six I pack know. every time Steve sees you, you get a six pack. <laughs> yeah. So I got so a what? t-shirt and a hat and a six <laughs> and a bottle opener. Sorry, just the swag, not the beer. The beer was never free. That's fine. My mistake. <laughs> we ran a tight ship, man. Chasing people down the street. You can't take. You got to pay for that. <laughs> So you hung around, you hung around for six years. What was the impetus to leave? Were you just bored? I mean, you know, not much to do. He's nodding. This is a, this is a audio. I was meeting. bored. Sorry. Yeah. This is uh, the audio <laughs> not, nods. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Knowingly as he, uh, yeah. Um, they, they had no use for me. You know, I right. think the last, my last hurrah at, with Mill Street was I composed this. I mean, I could send it to you. It was sort of a, photo album of our you know year after year of highlights i made a powerpoint presentation sort of going through a timeline from day one and i thought it would be nice to give to employees is like oh you know i didn't know like we made this kind of beer or, you know anything mm-hmm. um and for me it was it was nice it was kind of bittersweet but i knew when i'd finished it i was like i got nothing like they don't want me <laughs> yeah. i was not involved in any meetings they had no interest in my my two cents. I sat down once with the design team and some kid, and this is when I knew things were were done because the kid goes, he was the head of marketing for Mill Street. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm 12 years old. <laughs> which seemed to be a like a revolving door at that point. And this kid's like, yeah, you know, um, I my my I know someone in Mill Street from back in the day. And, and I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. I'm thinking like, you know, you work here now. He's like, yeah, but when I went to camp, one of the kids, his dad worked there too. And I'm like, how old are you? You know, <laughs> I just realized I'm like, you know, and then he started showing me drawings of things that like I, I would have laughed at. And I was just like, we're going to redesign the logo. And we're going to, I'm like, you're going to what? 
<laughs> you know he doesn't have the logo. That, I almost got that tattooed on me. Why? What are you gonna do? <laughs> you know, why? Um, and it, I just knew it, my days were numbered, so I just politely. I mean, six years. When you put it that way, six years seems like a long time to be hanging around. Uh, I kept busy. Yeah, I kept busy. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like, we got this beautiful cottage. It was like it was a dream. It was just yeah, puttered around and I made a nice. trail and I spent a lot of time on YouTube learning how to make things. I did, you know, I did a lot of music. <laughs> I don't know. I, I occupied my time. I, I I can't sit still. But it sounds great, honestly. Every like every, all the breweries that pro- probably the ones that you're re- remembering being such dicks back in the day are like, fuck, I'd give my left arm for that payout right now. Like, you're kind of ahead yeah. of the curve in that sense because <laughs> honestly, every brewery is for sale right now. Honestly, I can't like even the most hardcore ones are would welcome some sort of investment or something because it, it is that tough. So like, you kind of got out ahead of things. I guess I I did. And you know what? Timing is everything. And I'm very fortunate, very lucky. You know, my family's blessed. I don't know. It's just uh, the timing was right. Um, I I really feel for those guys because I don't know how this is going to play out. I do feel that there are probably too many uh, breweries in this province. Um, You know, we talked about, you know, just the amount of people. I I don't know uh, how it can support all these guys. No, from a very like cynical perspective, this, the boom has been not sustainable for a long time. So the pandemic may have just kind of been the final straw. So we're already seeing consolidation closing. I read about another closure today, like it's happening. So which one did you, or is it public? No, it's public. Actually, someone, they just kind of quietly, let me find out. Greg Cloud. Pardon? There was one in Oshawa, but I heard it was getting, Greg Clow announced it, but it was like changing no. its name or something. Or... No. Yeah, it's always kind of weird because they're either like someone buys them up or they're changing their business model. But I mean, really, the the, the subtext. Well, we when we started making um, this beer, uh, our first place was in, in Niagara. We were making it at a oh my god, a Blackburn. Okay. And those guys opened like June of the pandemic, with no background whatsoever. Excuse me, in um in beer, and they've already sold. Like they yeah. don't own it anymore. They got out. They were like, "Oh, this sucks!" <laughs> the one I heard about today was New Ritual. They only opened in May 2021, and they're already closed. Whoa! Like, there's breweries. I I will confess to have never having never tried a New Ritual beer. Like, that's where we're at. There's breweries where that have opened. From? I never tried one of their beers, and they closed Oshawa. But that is the one. Okay, yeah, I read about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't heard of them. Well, there's a lot. I mean, we started this pod talking about the four craft breweries in Toronto. That was yeah. it. There was just four, you know. So yeah, yeah you're in early, Steve, on the uh, non-alcoholic uh, brewery, and and you know, in 20 years, you'll uh, you'll sell to the the major non-alcoholic conglomerate uh, out there. It'll be said again. They'll keep you around as a consultant for a while. Yeah. Hey, okay, um, 20 years, really? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like 10, 10-ish, 10-ish. Sorry. Can I get a yeah? Can I get a second opinion now? I'll be old, but I'll be seventy. Oh my god! I'm so what does what does the distribution network and the plan for Harmons look like? I mean, it's a different well, beast, right? I mean, you're, totally. You're talking groceries. I, excuse me. Yeah. Wherever the, wherever the hell you can sell it. Well, it's been fascinating because yeah, I, not being, you know, my wheelhouse. I, I sold the the beer store, the LCBO, and you know, licensees, and that was my world. 
and I didn't really have any interest in selling to licensees except people I was friendly with because of what we mentioned earlier with the, the shakedown and the free, I mean, <laughs> no, it's like I, I showed my partner once it's like watch we'll ask these guys and they're like do you have t-shirts for the staff I'm like no we do not <laughs> so so we tried to avoid that but what I discovered early on was um like all the independent like health food uh cheesemongers butcher shops uh natural food stores they were ripe for this stuff um it's not huge volume but um that has been the initial strategy was talking to these guys um, some of them really liked the fact that it was organic, but more importantly, it was something different that they could offer their customers because a lot of the, the, I guess the Venn diagram of craft beer drinkers and people who will buy or, you know, organic goods or, you know, whatever. And, and they tend to have young families. That seems to be the demo we're seeing like 35 to 45 in that range, young kids, um, some disposable income, but they love beer. But maybe they can't drink because they have responsibilities. They got to take the kids around. It, this seems to be the sweet spot. So that's initially where we started selling. Then, of course, um, grocery popped up. So we got into Longos. But again, these are all trial runs. It's not like, here you go, boys. You got a national listing and you're going to be distributed. Right. We couldn't even keep up with that. But, you know, um, some areas, it's like I've done samplings for years. Um, and the worst sampling I've ever done to this day was in Woodbridge uh, over in September because it, it was it just wasn't selling. It just wasn't the crowd. And they said, why don't you come in? Maybe we'll, we'll push some products. I'm standing there across from like the dairy bridge and people just giving me this hairy eyeball like, this. get <laughs> out of here. I'm like, would you like to try? Would you like to? Would you? <laughs> it's like, I was like, oh, my God, like I've lost my mojo. But so. Um, it's it's challenging um, explaining because the preconceptions with non-alcoholic beer go so far back as I call it penalty box beer. That's what you drank if you were the designated driver or you're right. pregnant. It was awful. You know, like yeah. the stuff they used to churn out was just horrible. So, you know, once they try our stuff, we're doing a lot of events. Liquid to lips is the mantra, you know, and so, you know, aside from that horrible experience, for the most part, it's been great because people are surprised once they get over their, you know, sort of the preconceptions of what it's about. I mean, like the cottage life show, you know, that's just got to do a ton of these things, get people excited about it. And, uh, you know, we're getting more interest um, from other grocers or chains, natural food chains. But um, but it's um, it, it's not as easy as I thought it would be. And I'm tired. I'm telling you, this is this is like early days of Mill Street, like the, right. the amount of work. And plus, back then we didn't have social media. You right. Know? So who do you think I'm doing all my dopey posts on Facebook and Instagram and I learned how to animate? You need a 12-year-old marketing manager. That's like you need the I guy. Do. <laughs> I do. I'm praying for that to happen. But in the meantime, <laughs> I'm doing all of it and trying to. So it's and we contract brew. And I'm not used to that either. In so, here, in London, right? It equals? We are now. Yeah. yeah. They're awesome. They're yeah. great. That is what I hear about equals. They're great. They are dynamite. Work. They wear lab coats. They have. They wear lab coats? Well, I'm in. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the lab people, they're just, they're super professional, buttoned down, excellent brewers, know their stuff. And uh, yeah, it's a pleasure working with them. Um, you know, it's, uh, 
when you're at the mercy of someone else for your product, you know, A, obviously the quality is a huge issue. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, like, you know, where are you in line? You know, like scheduling, making sure the product's going to be ready. Uh, fortunately, we have a quick turnaround because it doesn't ferment. It does ferment, but just for a very short period. Just kind of stop it before it gets alcohol. It actually just stops fermenting. It's a new kind of yeast. That's okay. Good. Don't you know this? That that. Where do I buy it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, that's part of it. I mean, then the recipe obviously has to work around it, but um, they they have developed strains of yeast now that. Well, it's that interesting. Are. It it tastes like beer. I mean most of the like where someone's trying to shoehorn like like i have this problem with gluten-free beer my wife has celiac I, i've yet to taste a gluten-free beer that i actually enjoy i know someone yeah. at glutenberg is shitting themselves listening to this right now i'm sorry but the same with non-alcoholic beer other than the european stuff it's never tasted like beer i've had two of yours today they taste like beer <laughs> well my Thank experiment you, I went straight from the uh, the lunchbox to uh, to an Ace Hill Mexican Lager to see to see the combo, and uh, I, I didn't I didn't give up. Ace Hill, you're drinking Ace Hill right That's now. That's what I had in my fridge, Ben. We we need to get a few more pods out. Um, <laughs> you need more samples, is what you're saying. <laughs> but I was gonna say, Steve, have you thought about targeting teenagers? I mean, parents would love it if their teens were just drinking uh, non-alcoholic beer. They would, but let's face it: what are kids drinking today? Teens don't drink beer for the taste. My, no beer, drink beer my, at thirt- all. my 13 year old son just had his first beer today and it was your uh, your hazy ipa really god bless him that's great um, he liked it kids- and he's tried my beer before and he hasn't liked it so it was kind of just you know it was an easy an easy drink for him it so was uh, what are we, this is the training wheels that, that we- <laughs> yeah. weird marketing angle try that one out i'm gonna stock it in my fridge you know let your teenager steal your beer it's a, it's a different take on it watch it yeah actually. get get uh yeah placebo drunk um it's, oh, that uh, would be good i just think in general like i mentioned like the demo being like in that 30 45 and guys you know 50s plus but um yeah if you're 25 you're you're not drinking beer beer in that segment is just dead or dying they just they drink rtds they like sweet fruity things they like mm. mocktail not mock but the cocktails in a can and no, it's um kids these days. I don't know where beer is going. Honestly, it's uh hard seltzers, white claws, buoy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we got to get them training wheels. <laughs> that's right. Training wheels is your next beer name. You, that's copyright. That's great... <laughs> <laughs> but that's like these mash can guys. You got to check them out because they would do something cheeky like that. Okay. I'm too afraid to get sued. <laughs> Like my well, Steve, thanks for thanks for being on the show, man. We have a we've got a new uh, segment this year, which we're trying out. Chris's last name is Pellerin, so we call him Pell. We're calling this segment Pell's Corner. We're I don't know what he's gonna do, but we're gonna do some kind of game, and Chris is gonna lead it. If you're game to stick around for about hey, five, okay. This has been fun. I hope you know it was worth your while. That's fun. I mean, oh, that's great, Steve. Let's see when we get roasted on Reddit. That's where they love, love they love to hate this show, but we'll see. I only read the Bartel. Okay, on Bartel, <laughs> I don't know what they think about this show. I don't know. <laughs> okay, what are we doing? I don't know, but Chris has recorded his own jingle, so you can mock it. Chris, before you got here, Steve was telling us that he's recorded a handful of versions of the jingle for Harmon. So Chris, this is Chris's jingle for Pell's Corner. <laughs> Thank you.
It's a little porny, I think, but... <laughs> porny? I might have thought, like, an old-school video game or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what sure. I meant. No, no, let's go with... The dirty one. <laughs> okay, so what's the game, Chris? Uh, tonight we're going to do uh, just a, a, a few would-you-rather questions, Steve, and, uh, and we'll get your thoughts on those. Um, uh, I, was, I was asking my kids, so some of these are... We, we, had, we had the Shrove Tuesday breakfast for dinner, so... Start a few softballs, just on some breakfast things. Um, oh, boy. Uh, pancakes or waffles? <laughs> pancakes. Yeah, I go pancakes, too. This yeah, is... me, me, too. Uh, we're starting with some softballs. Like really softballs. Like, oh, okay. All right, right, right. Which of these little... pleasant breakfast views? <laughs> you must eat one. This okay. gets a little tougher now. Would you like your bacon, prefer your bacon undercooked or overcooked? Well, I am half Jewish. <laughs> so not but at all? <laughs> my mom was Catholic, so it doesn't... I'm not even... I'm a mutt. Overcooked or... I, I, I do not like crispy... No, under. Oh, gross. Over all day. Give me the... Yeah, I, I think I'd go under, too. Under. Okay, undercooked. Yeah. I thought that was a no-brainer. No. Okay. All right. Um, would you... Uh, would you... I mean, I have no-brainer, but... <laughs> Uh, this was my daughter's question. So, would you would you rather know when you die, or how you die? Okay, that's a bit of a leap from bacon. I Jeez. like kids. Well, uh, holy cow! A <laughs> little bit, a little bit. I'm like, oh, I was a little different. Uh, you know, I thought she was gonna keep it in the light family dinner kind of mode. Okay, I I'm gonna go first if that's okay. I think I would choose when because if it was how. I would always be trying to avoid that situation. I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be illness, but if it was like you get hit by a ladder for the rest of my life, I'm like weirdly avoiding situations that have ladders and it's going to fuck up my whole life. If I know the when, then I'm just like, eh, that's coming. And I would do my bucket list stuff leading into it. 100%. I'm with you. Yeah. I think when, because knowing how, if you find out it's something that's preventable, you'd spend your life just, fixating on it but you know yeah and it's you can't live your life like that so yep when i'd probably go with the same but then i'd be i'd hate when it would be like six weeks from today and then uh you know it's not the answer i was looking for i would have been fine to know that it was you know struck by lightning <laughs> lightning would be fine if it's lightning i'll take the i'll take the how because you never know it's coming otherwise mm. it's the when <laughs> yeah i guess when also with when though you'd be like procrastinating yeah fuck i got i got time i can do that stuff and then the last six months you're scrambling to do everything you always wanted to do remember that movie on the beach Did no you see that it was a book too yeah it's these i think fred astaire's in it it's an old movie but they're on a beach and um the big ones just dropped like nuclear and and i think they're somewhere exotic so all they do is like live out like their fantasies for the next whatever three days because they know they're all going to die but it's um that was a good well so they're just fucking for three days i don't know if it was uh yeah pretty much but it was what else would you do (laughs) i think i think fred astaire drives like a race car around like a madman like oh you know with a scarf and yeah oh that's not what i would be doing reckless abandon (laughs) until he runs out of gas (laughs) Uh, what's the story from uh, mole rats that uh, jason lee says the plane's going down and everyone just whips it out and starts jerking yeah. and the plane the plane writes itself and everyone just quietly goes goes back to their business and no one says anything yeah i don't think that's a true story 
No, probably not. Uh, no. All right, you got you got one more of these things. I got one more for you here. Uh, unlimited first class tickets anywhere you'd like, Ooh. or you never have to pay for food at restaurants ever again. Whoa, it's a good yeah. one. You have to think about it, or unlimited food or free rides anywhere. Unlimited restaurant, free restaurant food anywhere or unlimited first class tickets. You know what? We'll open it up to train as well, Steve, if you like taking the uh, the train. I was going to say, and... yeah, like, you know. I mean, the monetary value of first class anywhere in the world is much higher. If you're looking at strictly for money, I would like just to, I don't know. I think I, I'd be okay with restaurants because even if you can't travel for some reason, you could just drive around locally and go to any restaurant close by. Food. Yeah, I'm very food. motivated by food. Good food. Much like a dog. Like I could go to like the hot Italian sandwich place I just discovered a few blocks from my house like tomorrow and just be like, I'll take six chicken parm sandwiches. Can you imagine? <laughs> Especially if you knew you weren't going to die for another 40 years. Just eat as many of those sandwiches as you want. If you put them together. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'll sit in, in, in back of the plane. I don't care with all the turbulence. <laughs> but if I knew at the end of it, I was going to get... You know, like yeah. a prime rib or something. <laughs> prime rib. <laughs> what if they serve like you, you? What about on the plane? You get free free food on the plane too. Like anything you want. I mean, if that helps your decision, Steve. Absolutely. Yeah, because you think about it. Like everyone else around you is getting like some crappy food, and and you have like, is it like a candelabra with all kinds of? Things? You're like, yeah. See, I get this anytime I want. <laughs> How come he gets sushi, <laughs> and I got this rubber chicken? That was my. My mom on a uh, trip we went on and she got off the plane. Oh, how did you guys like that filet mignon? I'm like, no, no, no. I had, you know, I had a little bit of rubbery pasta while I sat beside an infant for 13 hours. Mom, it was, it was different back here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had to go by in the back. Yeah, I'd keep it unanimous. I'd, uh, I'd fly it on a discount airline somewhere and just eat Michelin star when I got there. Absolutely. Yeah, that seems like the logical decision. Yes. Well, well Steve... Thank you. Thanks for indulging the bullshit part of beer and bullshit too. No, this has been great guys. And actually, yeah, uh, you got me thinking about (laughs) my life's choices. (laughs) (laughs) Good. That's what we aim to do here. Make people (laughs) reevaluate. Yeah. Well, thank you for the, uh, thank you for the samples. It is my first foray into non-alcoholic beer. It tasted like beer. I'm they're going to probably sneak their way into my drinking when I need to take a break. So thanks. And thank thanks, you. Steve. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks very thanks, much, man. guys. All the best. Good luck, Steve. Talk soon. Steve. Bye. What do you want me to say?